Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Lauren, I have a really, really important question for you. Okay. Your Super Bowl go-to food, pizza, wings, or chili? Mm, is all the above a... <laughs> that, that is an acceptable choice. Uh, I think oh. that's probably honestly going to end up being my choice this year. <laughs> Well, so actually right now I am doing the low carb thing, trying to to lose all those quarantine pounds that I I gained in 2020. I know. So uh, if you make wings and you don't bread them, I mean, I just pretty much consider them health food. So I mean, it's just protein, right? Yeah. Like straight protein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I am really excited, though, about this year's Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl 55, and Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they are going up against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And for all of our regular listeners, you know that Lauren uh, is much more of the football fan than I am, but I am a New Englander, which means I'm a Patriots fan, which also means that I have an undying loyalty to Tom Brady. (laughs) For better or worse. So I'm actually spending eight hours on the road on Saturday to drive home to my parents' house so that I can watch the Super Bowl with my dad and, fingers crossed, hopefully watch Tom Brady win his seventh ring. We'll see. You are crazy, Virginia. (laughs) I mean, you only live once. So it's like you got to do these things. You got to spend all day on the road to watch the Super Bowl with your family. But Lauren, I know that you're also down in Florida, so you're going to be watching it with your family. Are you rooting for the Bucks? You know, Lauren? <laughs> well, I'm actually right outside of Tampa, and I flew into Tampa this weekend, and it was so funny that when you get off the plane and in Tampa you have to take a little tram to the main terminal, and um, there were people clapping, and I, like – you know, you get off and there's somebody clapping. I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, where's the World War II vet? And I just realized, no, it's just they're, they're clapping to people coming for the Super Bowl. And, so funny. Uh, and everything is just, you know, decked out and Super Bowl stuff. And uh, it was actually kind of cool. I could see the, uh, I think it's like Super Bowl, I don't know, LIV. I don't know what that is in, in numbers. 54? 55. 55. 50, this year. 55. Okay. So LV, you could see that from coming in from the airport. So I thought that was kind of cool. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I'm a Jax fan mainly. And Mm, why would you be, why would you be a Jaguars fan? (laughs) Because I grew up in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And Blake Bortles played for them. You know, the greatest football player Uh ever lived. Yeah. uh, So So, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be like a, a legit game time decision. And I, I bet you I'll go for the box. I, I like Tom Brady. He's he's a good guy. But I also like my homie Patrick Mahomes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are rooting for Mahomes because, I mean, he is – I mean, he's so young. Like, people are excited to see him advancing in his career and doing so well. But, yeah, <laughs> my loyalties definitely – fly with Brady so we'll see it'll be a good game <laughs> so if you are a football fan be sure though to tune in to the Daily Signal podcast on Friday because I'm going to have an interview with my colleague John Cooper talking about uh, NFL and the Super Bowl and who's predicted to win the big game but for today's show Lauren what do we have queued up 
Up on today's Problematic Women, we talked with Representative Beth Van Dyne of Texas about why she decided to run for Congress and how she plans to further her conservative agenda in Congress. Plus, our colleague Lindsay Fifield, Heritage's social media manager, is pregnant. Lindsay joins us to talk about pregnancy and preparing for motherhood. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. I am so pleased to be joined by Representative Beth Van Dyne of Texas. Congresswoman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am, I am very pleased to be here. It's been, a, it's been an interesting month, so uh, glad to be here today. Yeah, well, we're very, very glad to have you. It has been a very interesting month, a very interesting beginning to your start in Congress. Con- congratulations. Uh, we're so excited to see that you are forging ahead. Um, it's just wonderful to see leaders like yourself take on these positions in Congress. If you could just talk a little bit about how you originally got interested and involved in policy and politics, and then ultimately why you decided to run for Congress in 2020. That's kind of funny. You know, I, I got involved in policy, well, in politics, just by getting involved in my community. So, um, you know, I grew up in an, in an Air Force family, you know, I was born in upstate New York, moved around. Um, I went to Cornell undergrad uh, and came down to Texas, uh, got married, had uh, kids. And when my first daughter was born, uh, her first year, she had nine surgeries. And uh, we used to go to the park that was in the neighborhood and she'd always have to cover her eye. Um, and I asked if we, there's any way that we could get shade. And before I knew it, I was the chairman of our parks department. And, uh, you know, the chairman of the parks committee and I got a bunch of the moms together and we ended up raising uh, several hundred thousand dollars and building a park. And that's just kind of how it started on um, we just taking one one piece at a time. And then a few years after that, we had a zoning case that was going to affect our neighborhood and our community. And I got involved speaking with our, our council representative at the time. And uh, he was not exactly what I would call um, um, professional or, or um, sensitive to what some of our issues were. So when the time came for him to be reelected, I was going to support anybody who was interested in running but couldn't find it. So with a two and a five-year-old in tow, uh, I threw my name on the ballot and I talked to five people and I asked those five people for their support and they give me five more people. I talked to those five people and I asked for five more people and um, even though I got outspent eight to one on um, one election, and Irving, Texas is one of the uh, what 92nd largest city in the country. We've got seven Fortune 500 companies and most diverse zip code in the country. But I was uh, on the city council there for six years and then decided that I was going to spend more time with my kids. But I was talked into running for mayor a year later and became the only uh, female uh, mayor that Irving has ever had. And Worked on a ton of issues, uh, became very involved in the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And then uh, when, that, when, when, when President Trump won, I was asked to join his administration. And I worked for Secretary Ben Carson for two and a half years on issues affecting housing and, and uh, sustainability and making sure that people were breaking through poverty and generational wealth and 
um, ways of being able to achieve the American dream. So that's kind of what's brought me here today. So neat. I love that it really actually all started with your kids that you yeah. saw, oh, we need shade in our parks because of, yeah. you know, that's a need of my daughter. <laughs> I mean, that's what kind of got you brought into the community. So whenever there was community issues, you know, mine was one of the first uh, phones that rang. And I think when you get involved in that and you are a public servant, people respect it, they identify it. And you're the first to be called. Busy people are the ones who get called when uh, things need to need to happen. So it has been a privilege. It's been an honor to do it. Well, when you think about the America that you do want your kids to inherit, how does that affect the issues or the policies that you choose to support or advocate for? What we've really done is we've looked at what, you know, my kids are both in college now, but when they graduate, I want them to be able to get a job. I want them to be able to um, um, buy a home and be in my community. And it's, it's things like, are they healthy? You know, what are the healthcare um, issues? And, and I, have, I have way too much experience on that side, you know, dealing with a daughter, again, who had nine surgeries, making sure that it's affordable, making sure that it's high quality, making sure that people have access. Um, and I think it's those meat and potato issues that people want you to work on in, in government and in Congress. You know, transportation, when you get in your car, are you going to be stuck in traffic? You know, will you be able to fly places that you need to fly in a reasonable amount of time and be and be treated respectfully? Um, job opportunities is one. Opening up our economy and making sure that people have access to schools um, and that their kids were not losing an entire generation, you know, uh, that are home and not being able to, to get together socially, which is so important. So I think what's really just looking at the meat and potato issues that affect people's daily lives and having come from the local, you know, the local government, um, you don't really realize how much of every day uh, is regulated and making sure that you still have an ability to, to have those individual freedoms and, and personal responsibilities that all of us, I think, at times take for granted. Um, and so, yeah, my kids are at the heart of it. Uh, every single vote I take, you know, it's not just me looking in the mirror, but it's also, you know, what are they going to think at the end of the day and how is this going to look? So I, it, there's a lot of thought that goes into it, but I just want to make sure that we're leaving a better place for them. You know, they're not going to be having so much debt over their heads that uh, they don't ha- get to experience a lot of the, the, the joys and successes, you know, that we have. Well, and I think that that is so critical to have that perspective coming from the local level. As you've talked about, you served on the Irving City Council as a representative, then you served as mayor of Irving. That's a really big deal to understand how at the local level, those policies really do influence our day-to-day lives. I think that's something that the nation has experienced during COVID-19 is realizing, wow, my local leaders have a really huge impact, maybe a lot larger than I realized on my day-to-day, on, on how I've lived my life. So how is that perspective really influencing now the way that you want to lead in Congress? You know, I, I am anxious to be able to get together, you know, a mayor's caucus, um, you know, people who have worked at the local level, because a lot of these issues we, we force to be political and we force to be partisan, but they don't need to be. And I guess maybe I'm spoiled because as mayor, I didn't have a deer on over next to my name. And what I did find is the people that you're working with today that you are fighting with on an issue tomorrow, they may be your deciding vote. So it's, it's to concentrate more on the policies and less on the party and more on the people and less on the politics. Um, and that's what I have uh, always focused and, you know, get up and wipe yourself off because you're going to have another fight tomorrow. 
but I always told people they need to vote in, in local elections and, and think carefully about who you're voting for. And make sure that you're engaged in the process. Because you know, when I was mayor, my, my cell phone number was pretty much available to anybody. They knew where I, where I shopped. They knew where I worked. They knew where my, uh, where my kids went to school. And those were conversations that you had to have. You're very accountable you know, to your community. And I think as Congress members, sometimes we might lose that. You, know, you come up to D.C. and you get lost up here. But it's being back in the district as much as possible. And I'm really excited. I just got put on uh, transportation and infrastructure and small business. And while we were home last week, um, unexpectedly, we were supposed to be in, uh, in, in Congress, but unexpectedly, the um, majority canceled last week. So we found ourselves in the district and we, we worked together on, on getting a transportation roundtable set up and meeting with the stakeholders that are in the district before I ever even had a committee meeting. What's important to you? What do we need to work on? And I guess having had those relationships for over 20 years is really beneficial. It's all about the relationships. And the same thing with small business. You know, we, we contact the chambers that I've been engaged in, in, uh, in a part of for, for the better part of 20 years. And we said, what are the small businesses that we, we should reach out to? And some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. But it's all about the relationships and building. And I think at a local level, you realize that because you live right there. And sometimes we tend to forget about that the farther up in government we go. So, so critical, those relationships that does determine everything on so many levels. Now, I know one issue that you are personally really, really passionate about is the pro-life issue. Just last Friday, we had the March for Life, uh, and you sent out a tweet just talking about how this is a deeply personal issue for you. Why is life something that you're so passionate about? You know, I, I grew up in um, a medical family. My, my dad is an OBGYN. My mom was a nurse before she went to law school. And you grow up with, with those types of images around you. But um, when I was married, my, my, I lost my first child. And it was one of the more uh, difficult um, things that you could live through. And you realize how impactful that is on your life moving forward. And we get into these conversations where Sometimes it just doesn't seem like that's a value. And you never know how much that's going to affect you, how powerful that can be when you've lost a child. And sometimes it won't hit you until years later. And I, I don't think it's something that we can ever discuss lightly. Um, so it's very, it is very personal to me. And I can look into other moms' faces you know, who've, who've had children and never gotten to hold and, and tell them, you know, it is a powerful issue. I mean, you think about how much of a miracle um, being able to give birth is. And I think it's something that we need to cherish. It's something that need, we need to respect. Um, and it's something that we need to prioritize. And uh, I, I have no problem at all, you know, talking to others from um, the other side of the aisle who may disagree and keeping it professional, but also being very passionate yeah, that's so important to have those those conversations across the aisle. So you, you've mentioned some of the policies that you're really passionate about, interested in pursuing in your time in Congress. Um, but if you would just share a little bit about what is at the top of your agenda list for these next two years. You know, I, it, it changes. You know, we're, we are reacting to what's happening in, in our communities. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to be looking at is voter integrity moving forward and working with community leaders on ways of making sure that we are um, instilling in people that they have a trust in, in their vote, that one vote counts, that their voice counts. We're also looking at opening up the economy. I and mean, we've just seen the last 10 months and when it's done to people's 
you know, people's savings, people's businesses, you know, folks that had put everything into a small business and have had it shuttered through no fault of their own. We need to make sure that we're getting people employed again, giving people job opportunities. We're working on healthcare and in, in ways of making sure that people can afford it, but that it's personalized. It's not one size fits all government solutions. Uh, and also national security. I mean, obviously, we are looking at threats from, from China, from Iran, from North Korea. And we need to make sure that we are focused on uh, and, and keeping us safe for the next generation. Because if we tackle all these budget issues, and yet uh, we find ourselves at the losing end of a cyber war, we didn't even know that we were engaged in, you know, that, that will be detrimental moving forward. So there's a lot of things that we, we need to make sure that we are prioritizing. But it's really the meat and potato issues that most people don't don't find sexy. You know, building a new road is not something that you're going to go, yeah, I did that. But it is so critical to people's lives. So those are the things, you know, that, that we've t- talked about that I've heard straight from uh, my community's mouth that's important to them. And those are the issues that I need to champion and advocate for on here. Absolutely. I I love that you say that, that I think it is those meat and potato issues because we get so focused on, you know, kind of these few, but really it's those those common everyday things like infrastructure uh, that affect our everyday lives. And you, congratulations to you on just being appointed to the infrastructure committee. That's a topic that's so important, but I don't think it gets quite the attention it deserves. Could you just talk a little bit about your role on that committee, uh, what you all do, and how you're excited to really uh, push a positive agenda there? Well, you're kind of catching me off guard because I, I haven't been to a committee meeting yet. So our first committee meeting will actually be on Thursday and uh, we'll, we'll find out more. But, you know, my, my background is in, is in transportation, obviously, as a mayor. It's, uh, you know, the fourth largest uh, metroplex in the country. Uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, DFW Airport is the number one economic driver in the state. And that's right in the middle of the district. Highways, roadways, water infrastructure. It's one of the fastest growing areas in the country. We need to make sure that we're preparing you know, for that uh, increase in population for the future. And, you know, again, water is going to be really important. Making sure that we've got access to, uh, to transportation is, is, is a meat and potato issue. But um, and also figuring out how we're going to pay for it. Um, you know, we can come up with all these wonderful ideas, but if we can't figure out how we're going to actually pay for them, you know, they're going to remain on the, uh, they're going to remain just as part of a book and part of a plan. And so many of the highways that I remember um, discussing going to one of the openings when I was mayor, opening of a bridge and it had been on the plans literally for 35 years because I couldn't find out how to, how to pay for it. And then having to work with all the local elected officers to make sure that they had access, you know, to some of the property. So these things take time. Relationships are important, but you know, you're doing a good job when you're not getting phone calls, right? When people can turn their water on in the morning to take a shower and it's clean water and it works. When they get to work without, without incident, you're doing your job when you're not getting calls. Um, but it's my job to get out and talk to people. And that's what we've been trying to do in the district is having those kind of conversations, creating as many events that people feel comfortable attending, as many events, you know, even virtually that we can to make sure that we're listening. Often, you know, elected officials, politicians speak all the time and they just don't listen enough. And I think that's been one of um, my focuses is making sure that we're giving people an opportunity uh, and having as many events as we can where we're, we're hearing what's important to them, their concerns, their priorities, and that is really what we're focused on. 
I know that one of the issues you focused on while working at the state level in Texas uh, was illegal immigration. And you recently tweeted that you were really glad to see that a federal judge did block President Biden's 100-day deportation ban. Why is immigration such an important issue to you? You know, again, um, living in the fourth largest metroplex in the country, I have seen the damage that, that happens in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, through drug cartels, through gangs, through sex trafficking and human trafficking. These are things that affect everyday Americans, and we can act like they don't exist um, because it's politically expedient to say we're going to do one thing. But if you look at the actual incidents of people who've been victims of unsensitive, um, irresponsible border patrol, it's, it's, it's bad. And as mayor, one of the things that I had done on city council and as mayors, we had worked very closely with immigration and customs enforcement and people who were committing crimes in our, in our um, city that were uh, caught, we were, that were found not to be in the, in the country illegally. We worked with ICE and had them deported. Um, and as a result, we, we took a lot of flack, you know, um, politically people came after us and they called us all sorts of labels. But what we did notice was almost immediately our crime rate in our city dropped. It plummeted. Um, we had the for nine years, we had the lowest crime rate in our city's history. We became the fifth safest city in the country. And far from people not wanting to live there because of the labels that people like New York Times and CNN were throwing at us. We found that we had the largest economic growth period in our city's history and more population growth than we'd ever seen before. People want to live in safe communities. They want to live where they feel comfortable that their kids can go to school and focus on getting an education and come home. And that's what we need to you know, think about what we're doing. And the idea that we're just going to announce we're not going to be enforcing our laws, um, I think, is, is opening up a pathway that's very dangerous in the future. And while I want to work with a new administration, I've been very vocal on that. I am also not going to shy away from being critical of policies that they have that are dangerous for our future. You have been very vocal about wanting to work across party lines, wanting to work with President Joe Biden. You actually sent a letter to the president on Inauguration Day saying, you know, let's work together where we can. Uh, and we, we've heard President Biden talk a lot about unity and bring that message of unity to the American people. But when it comes to action, it feels like there's, there's a disconnection there. Uh, and for example, you know, we have this um, $1.9 trillion COVID spending bill that the president has put forth that really has not gained support from Republicans. What are your thoughts on the spending bill? Well, I think talk is cheap and saying that you want to work and then not allowing people to even have a voice at the table is, is not is not unifying and it's definitely not working across the aisle. You know, when the Keystone Pipeline came down, uh, you know, canceling that, I, I, I live in Texas and you think about all the energy jobs that are created from that and immediately the destruction that that's going to have on our economy, um, on, on people's lives. On the $1.9 trillion, yes, we need to have a package to help the small businesses and other folks around the country that have been damaged by no fault of their own. But that needs to be targeted to those people who need it the most. It needs to be temporary. These are not long-term plans that we're putting forward because hopefully once this vaccine is out to more people, we're going to start to to, to see a short-term on this. But it also needs to be timely. And you think about how many months that we've already lost just fighting politics 
sticking things in a bill that have nothing to do with help, helping, you know, those folks at home, those small businesses, those working families that need it. And I think, you know, people can take advantage of a situation. That's what I've seen. I really want to work with this administration. I want to work with people across, you know, across the aisle, but we need to all be at the, at the same table. You had 10 senators who went over to the white house and tried to work on a bill and not one dime was changed from the plan. So you had the voice <laughs> that, hey, we want to work, but you know what? We're not going to compromise at all. And that to me is not working in good faith. And, and I hope, um, I'm optimistic that as we move down the, down the road, that we will have opportunities to partner, but I have not seen it yet. Now, certainly hope the same, that there will be those areas of partnership that will see that increasingly and that those words of unity will turn into action. You have been vocal about the fact um, that you know, you're not going to shy away from pushing back against those really radical far left agenda items, things put forward by members of, of the squad and so forth. Um, talk a little bit about that, just how you, know, you are going to really hold your ground uh, as a conservative woman in Congress. You know, I was the only woman that was on uh, the, the, the count, city council when I was mayor. You know, um, you have to have a, a loud voice. Nobody, nobody pushes you to run for these things. You know, all of us fought to be able to get here. And as a, you know, as a result, we have to be accountable. We have to be responsible. We need to be strong. We need to be that voice in Congress for the hundreds of thousands of people that we represent. And if you're not willing to do that, you're in the wrong job. But you also have to realize that no matter what you do, you're going to be criticized, right? We live in a very polarized society right now. 50% of people believe in one thing and 50% believe in something else. Um, so any decision that you make, half of your, of your populace is going to, is going to um, be very critical of that. But understand why you're doing it, who you're doing it for. Make sure that you are always professional in, in the way that you, that you conduct yourself, but also very clear and you know, I, I was on the losing end of a number of votes. Uh, I understand. But at the end of the day, I can defend um, every one of the votes that I've taken. And I think I need to do that moving forward. Um, we are not always going to be on the same side. Even our party is going to have disagreements. But let's be respectful to one another. Let's support one another and make sure that we're doing what's best for, you know, our, our, our district and for our country. And I think that's what people expect. And uh, that's what I'm here to perform. Congresswoman, before we let you go, there's one question that we love to ask all of our first-time guests on this show. We get so many different responses to this, uh, but that is, do you consider yourself a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? So can you define that? <laughs> well, that's up to you to define. And I think that's what we love about this question is everyone kind of defines that word a little bit differently and some you know, go much more with kind of that original interpretation of a little bit more radical and others say, no, I want to reclaim that word to be yeah. more of the traditional term of feminist. I consider myself an independent, um, um, strong-willed, strong-minded, um, thoughtful, professional individual that happens to be a woman. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm not falling into victimology. Um, I don't want to be treated differently. I want to be respected for what I bring to the table. And, um, and so if that makes me a feminist, then sure. But um, um, that's, I, I just don't want to be treated differently. I wanted to be treat, treated for the, you know, for the strengths that I have and the, the conduct um, that I show. And, and quite frankly, I do that to everybody. I think 
if we stop putting each other in these different buckets, we'll all get along so much better. I mean, it's a great question. It's a great <laughs> question. And, and you could probably like show your age by answering that question too. Right? <laughs> no, that's perfect. That was a great answer. It's always just interesting to hear the different responses that people have because that is, it's a broad term and people interpret it very, very differently. But Congresswoman, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your leadership. You are uh, really setting such an amazing example for so many individuals across the country, just how, how to lead well. Um, and how to lead from a place of really holding your principles, your morals, your values. So thank you so much for your time today. We so appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And anytime you guys want me on, just let me know. Thank you so much. Now stay tuned for our conversation with Heritage's social media manager, Lindsay Fifield, as she discusses pregnancy and preparing for motherhood. But first, I want to tell you all about a great way you can stay in the know on what The Daily Signal is covering. The Daily Signal has a very active presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And Lindsay Fifield, who we are about to talk with, she manages those accounts along with our Heritage digital team. We're constantly posting news stories, clips from interviews, videos, and more across all of our social platforms. So make sure that you like and you follow The Daily Signal on social media so you can stay in the know on all of the latest issues and never miss out on new content. We are joined by Lindsay Fifield, the social media manager for the Heritage Foundation and a good friend of ours. Lindsay, you have been the social media manager here at the Heritage Foundation for a while, but you are getting a really great promotion this year to the title of mom. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited. Okay. So first questions, when are you due? May. So early May. I wish it was tomorrow. I'm just so ready for this baby. And boy or girl? Girl. So you already have like little pink dresses and just like clothes for her. Oh yes. Uh, We have a big closet full of clothes already. And it's actually my, I'm a big fan of vintage clothes and secondhand clothes. So I've actually already just been going to lots of consignment shops and I can't help myself. So she hasn't even had her shower yet and her closet's already pretty full and not, not spending a lot of money doing it. It's pretty amazing how much stuff is out there and also how generous my friends have been already just giving me so much uh, stuff. So we're, we're already covered on a lot of the baby stuff and we haven't even had the shower yet. Wow. That's so awesome. It's good to have friends who have had kids a little bit before you because then Mm -hmm. you can just utilize that. That's perfect. Oh yeah. And they're (laughs) mostly their wisdom, but also their stuff, but it is really nice to have their experience too. So I feel like, you know, everyone has a slightly different pregnancy experience, but for you, is pregnancy what you expected it would be? Not at all. I I think that's, I don't know if I should say it like that or if that sounds bad, but um, no, every conception that I had of like what it was going to feel like, I'm a really fitness oriented person. So I thought that I was going to be like a fit mom that was running every day and walking every day and working out a lot and eating really healthy. And I've always been a really health conscious person. And I was shocked that in the first trimester, all I could do was 
lay around and eat ramen. And that's <laughs> all I wanted to do. It was really a reality check that, you know, my body had other things in mind. And in the second trimester, though, I really have um, turned that ship around and tried to be more fitness focused and, and I'm definitely doing a lot better. But that was the, the hardest part for me was accepting that it was okay that my body was really tired because <laughs> I'm growing a human. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Lindsay, I know since we're friends that you're really into bar class and we were talking today, uh, having a work conversation and it just kind of veered into talking about our, our fitness classes. And Lindsay goes, oh, I'm so mad. The bar was closed. Uh, you know, all during the beginning of quarantine. And now that I'm pregnant, I can't go to bar. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) it sounds bad. All the bars. Well, it's funny because I was saying all the bars are closed in DC, but they're open in Virginia. And it sounds really bad when you say it like that. Like, why does a pregnant lady want to go to the bars? But that is my favorite bar is my favorite workout. So it's B-A-R-R-E. It's my favorite workout. And it is really good for pregnancy. Um, so I've, that was always my plan. You know, the pandemic did also change a lot of things. Um, I think if I had gotten pregnant before the pandemic and I was still in a really normal fitness routine, maybe things would have been a little bit different. But um, it's a really good workout for pregnancy that just helps prepare your body for everything. So um, I'm hoping that I can still just keep doing those classes and that it'll help. <laughs> well, speaking of preparation, are there things that you're doing to prepare for motherhood as far as like books that you're reading or podcasts that you're listening to? Yeah. So, and I don't know if Lauren mentioned this, but I am the co-host of a podcast called Lady Brains and I co- uh, co-host it with a bunch of other um, women about my age and we are all moms. Um, and one of my best friends, Bethany Mandel, she and I just did an episode where we talked about a lot of really great parenting resources, um, books and things that she's read that are helpful to her. Cause sometimes it can be really overwhelming actually. If you read too many books and you read too much information, um, you can get you really overwhelmed when you're trying to prepare for motherhood and your, or parenthood. Um, cause my husband and I are both also, you know, we're both looking for resources and things. Um, so it's really nice to be able to just lean on moms who have been there and get their perspective. I love, there's one resource that I am just so grateful that I found called taking care of babies. And the funny thing is I hadn't really heard of her until recently. And then right after I heard about her and I was checking out her resources, there was a whole dust up with her getting canceled because her husband donated some money to president Trump's reelection campaign and people tried to cancel her for that. And it was awful because she's just this really nice lady that helps women with their newborns. And her resources are incredible. And I just couldn't believe that people were um, being so mean to her. So now I want to support her even more <laughs> as a conservative. Um, so that's one resource that I, I know now I don't think I could live without. I just it's it's really helping me prepare for you know, knowing that they're one, you don't know what kind of baby you're going to get. Is my baby going to be a good sleeper? Is she going to be colicky or, you know, and I just want to be able to know what to do or know what signs to look for um, when she's here. Yeah. Well, more power to you. I think that's so good to be doing that work on the front end because it is overwhelming when it's like, oh my gosh, like you hear the stories of so many different moms and it's like, you really don't know what you're going to get. You're bringing Mm -hmm. this human into the world, but it's like, 
Uh, it could look so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So when you think about being a mom, what are you most excited for? And then maybe what's something that you're feeling apprehensive about? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm just so excited because I've always wanted to be a mom and my husband's always wanted to be a dad. And I think the two of us, um, we're pretty newlyweds. We've only been married a little over a year. We spent most of our first year of marriage locked down together, which I loved. I thought was fantastic. I just want to stay home with him all the time. I don't know Would if he's he loved agree, it. Lindsay? <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I said, would he agree? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he would agree <laughs> like it. He's getting a lot of home cooked meals. Um, but he, uh, he and I, I just really think that we've enjoyed a lot of the fun parts of pregnancy together. Although I have, I'm very whiny. <laughs> I've been very, I've been very whiny throughout this pregnancy. So he's been so patient and wonderful. So I'm also just really excited to see him become a dad and see kind of how he, you know, especially to a daughter. I just think that's so special. And then for me, I think I'm just most excited about experiencing all of it and teaching a child and raising children. I just think that's the, it's what I've always wanted in life. And I'm just so excited to finally get this, get to this part of my life. Mm. You're going to be so good at it, Lindsay. You're going to be an amazing mom. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's okay. Well, no, I was going to say your question about if there's something you're scared of. I guess the one thing I'm worried about is raising kids in this world does seem really scary, but I try to put that out of mind. You know, I was homeschooled. We had a really good community, a really strong community where I grew up. And I do feel like because I have a lot of really good friends in this area and there are a lot of good people here that will be able to have that strong, you know, good community for our children. But it can be really hard with everything that's going on in schools and everything else. I do worry about being able to raise really good children, you know, in these times, if that sounds dramatic. No, that's such a real concern. I've had that conversation multiple times with my sister and with friends of like, how on earth are we going to navigate it? Because things have changed so much from the time that we were kids just playing outside and like, you know, the biggest distraction was shows on TV. Like you didn't have to deal with the social media and all of that. Mm-hmm. So there there are a lot of challenges now that parents have to face today that was, you know, didn't used to be an issue. Speaking of social media, since we do have a social media expert here on the program, wanted to talk a little bit about Instagram reels. And one thing that I learned last night that is breaking my heart and get your opinion, Lindsay, that now I, and I learned, remember, I learned all of this at once. So like, it was just, it was like a dagger that side parts, skinny jeans, and the crying emoji all make you old. According to Gen Z. According to Gen Z. And Which I, could, I don't take my life advice from kids that were eating Tide Pods like five minutes ago. <laughs> so I love my bangs and my side part. Um, I think that it looks very nice. My, if I, you know, and here's the thing, it's so funny. They think that they've invented these things. Center parts were a very boomer hairstyle. Have you ever heard of Farrah Fawcett? Like, and some people look great with it. So go girls, do your, do your little thing. Yay for you. But you can take my skinny jeans out of my cold, dead hands. I know. Although actually being pregnant means that they've already been taken from me. So (laughs) I will be getting back. I will be getting back in those skinny jeans very soon. (laughs) 
Yeah, I definitely feel like skinny jeans are here to stay. Like now it just seems like all of the jeans are okay to wear. Like the flares and the bell bottoms and the like quote unquote mom jeans. And like it all feels like it's fair game now, which I appreciate. Wear what jeans look good on your body type or what you feel comfortable in. I actually did notice that, that now the 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 ocean is wide. The one style of jeans that should never come back and that we should all join together, <laughs> generations united to hate, are low-rise jeans. Oh, yes. yes. That should, if that trend starts to come back, I think we will all, as women, unite together, form a phalanx of <laughs> skinny jeans and gaucho pants and whatever, and we will fight that war together. Jinkos. No more low-rise jeans and no more jinkos. You know, so I had I had jinkos in high school. Did you? Wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been so cool. <laughs> I was really punk rock. Oh. <laughs> Too great. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate that. And you are going to be, like I said, such an amazing mom. We're rooting for you on this pregnancy journey. We can't wait to meet baby girl. Well, thanks so much, guys. I can't wait for you guys to meet her. I hope one day soon we're all back in the office together showing off our babies and (laughs) it'll be, (laughs) it'll be great. And I hope you both will babysit one day. Yes. Oh, 100%. Definitely. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org slash events. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina. The Washington Examiner recently wrote a piece about Representative Mace, which shares a lot about her background. When Representative Mace was only 16, she was raped, and as a result, she dropped out of school at the age of 17. She told the Washington Examiner that, quote, teenage me would be shocked that I'm still alive. I literally lost all hope for my future during some very troubling, traumatic times in my life. She got a job, and she began taking night classes. Then in 1996, the South Carolina Military College, the Citadel, began accepting female applicants. Mesa's father graduated from the Citadel, and she deeply admired her father and thought that maybe if she went there, she could get her life back on track. She was actually the first woman to ever even graduate from the Citadel. We wanted to highlight Representative Mace today because it really is important to know where people come from and to hear their stories and recognize what they've overcome. You know, I think we maybe all have a bit of a tendency to disqualify ourselves because of our past, where we came from, the choices we've made. So we hope that Mesa's story is just a really great reminder for all of you, our, our wonderful problematic women audience, that you are powerful and that you can achieve really incredible things no matter what your story is. So we just want to say a huge thank you to Representative Mace for being willing to even share your story with the world. That takes a lot of courage and a huge congratulations to you for being crowned our Problematic Woman of the Week. All right, now on to our Twitter question. So we have a fun poll this week. Lauren, what are we asking our listeners? 
We have a super poll. That is the super poll poll. And the question is, who are you rooting for? The Bucks, the Chiefs, or I just watch it for the commercials slash halftime show. <laughs> no shame if you're just in it for the commercials. I get it. I've been there. <laughs> so you can find that poll on my Twitter page, which is Virginia underscore Allen five. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great week. We'll be back with you next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Patrick.